Welcome to this week's Cool Tools Show and Tell. I have a fantastic guest this week, James Chun. James, do you want to introduce yourself and tell us in a sentence or two about who you are? Sure. I'm a seed stage VC at a firm called Bloomberg Beta, where we invest in the future of work. But I'm also like someone who buys too many gadgets. And so I hope here that I will have saved people a little bit of money or maybe got them to spend a little bit more. So yeah, um, James is a, um, an avid Cool Tools fan, um, which is maybe how I met you first. Mm-hmm. Um, so tell us a little bit about um, one of your favorite tools these days. Okay, so I've, my, um, my, probably my favorite like, or just most mind-blowing tool remains the voice recorder on my Pixel 6, which I think is like one of these underestimated and underutilized amazing tools. And so let me let me show you how this works. Okay, so you can see this is um this is a stock voice recorder on a Pixel 6, which is the newer uh, you know Google Android device, and it's a normal transcription, you know, so I was just so it's a normal voice recorder. But what's interesting about it is that if you turn on the transcription feature, you should be able to see that it kind of understands what I'm saying so quickly that it almost feels like it's reading my mind. And I can talk extraordinarily fast and it'll still do a pretty good job, which is always surprising to me. And what's the reason why it's stunning is that it has an on-device machine learning model, right? And so it's much faster than the normal ones that you see. So, so right now it's both recording the audio and transcribing the audio in real time. That's right. That's right. And, and so, um, uh, and when you save it, you're going to save both, presumably. Well, what I actually end up doing is I walk around and I sort of record myself various things, or I will respond to emails with it. And it is just... The fact that it's so fast changes the experience in some fundamental way that I I don't think we really grasp Mm. or understand the implications yet. And the fact that it's run locally just on my device means that it's free, right? So the economics of it shift dramatically from the way that you normally think about transcription. Right. And and that I'm fascinated with. Like, I just can't stop thinking about what that might mean. And... um, and so, and so if, I show this. Yeah. If, if, if you're recording uh, a conversation, is it smart enough to distinguish between the two voices? It is not yet good enough for doing that. Okay. So you'd have to, if you did want to do that, you'd have to go in and just sort of indicate um, one speaker, right. speaker two, speaker one, back and forth. That's right. And, and I think part of what's exciting or interesting about it is that on their side, they've done such a good job of, doing that one core thing and that architecture shift. But as far as all the other features that you could imagine building on top of, it's, it's just interesting to me that Google hasn't, hasn't done that. So, so this is, uh, 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 you say it's built in. So this is a Google product or feature. Stock, like this is like a stock thing in their, in their pixel. And it's not going up to the cloud. It's, it's happening in the, the chip. That's right. And so that's the critical part. Like the critical part is that it's happening only on the, it's happening on the device. And I think the moment machine learning models move to the device, right, right it changes the dynamic. And that's, that's something as, right. I guess, both as a user, but also as a VC, I'm like constantly fascinated about. So I have, a, I have an iPhone and 
I use the I use the built-in transcription to do notes to to send right. emails. That's right. So if you hit the little microphone button near the keyboard and dictate into it, it will transcribe into text. It's pretty good. It's pretty good, and it is close. And so actually, my only popular tweet ever is actually doing a comparison between sort of the iOS version and the Pixel version. And the Pixel version just is clearly better, at least for now. Okay, so Siri is, is close to the Pixel version is what you're saying. That's right, that's right. Yeah. Um, okay, so, so mostly what you use it for is um, transcribing your own speaking, not necessarily right. doing an interview or, you know, I don't know, um, recording someone. What, what kind of other uses besides self-notes do, do, have you used for? And certainly for email dictation, right? And then, so, you know, they've built, Google's built a whole range of very impressive tools on top of it for phone calls and for man, like, for managing phone calls, for assisted you know, viewing of, of content. Uh -huh. What's interesting to me is that they haven't really opened it up, right? That right now it's all been for Google specific products. And I get the sense that if they opened it up, it would unleash a whole range of products, right? Mm -hmm. And a whole range of different experiences. And so that's actually, that's actually my underlying goal for right. showing this off, just to get people to pressure Google to make this available to more people. And would you say the same about Siri on, on, on Apple? And so I think on the Siri side, and you know things are changing, of course. I think that they're, you know, for a variety of reasons that are changing over time, their experience has just not been as good. And and I think I don't know whether that continues. So it's entirely possible. To me, there's sort of this race between, I guess it's Google, Microsoft, Amazon, Apple around who's going to release the easy API for managing local voice models. And then and they don't recognize it as a race, but like whoever does that first, I'm convinced will unleash a whole set of new products. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was just actually just right before we called, I was struggling with my Amazon Echo in my office because for some reason it had decided to switch its language to Japanese. <laughs> and you would think changing that would be easy, but it's, I can't figure it out. Well, the terrible thing is like, what have you had to navigate in Japanese? And then yeah, and that's, that's what's requiring me. It's requiring me to give me all the instructions in Japanese now. I was like, what? Come on. And also, <laughs> great. Alexa is like, there's the phone interface, and then there's kind of like the Amazon web, and, and it's very unclear exactly right. where the best place to manage it is. <laughs> the best place to manage it, of course, would be speaking to it. Right, 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 right. But anyway, so yeah, I think I think the um, the voice interface. We're we're not even at the dawn of it yet. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And but I think you know, sort of, for it to really happen, you know, I think it's really about making it cheaper, right? And I think that that and make or basically making it free, right? If you once you push it to the you once you push processing to mm -hmm. the local devices, then the economics totally change. And I think a bunch of assumptions change. And I think it unleashes all sorts of opportunities. Yeah, and the transcription is, is part of it because like, you know, these days on a good podcast with an interview, 
I would generally try to find a transcript and zip through it because it's just, oh, it's just 100%. like, not just 2x, it's 10x. I can go through uh, 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 an interview. Right. And you're able to key in on the parts you want to read. I mean, you know, sort of, I, I will admit that I do that both for Ezra Klein and Tyler Cowan's conversations where, you know, there'll be just some few clip tips where clips where you're thinking, oh, this is, you know, really interesting and I'll slow down here. So I agree. Yeah. That sort of mixed mode is interesting. Okay. What's well, a great one. Um, so that's the, um, does it have a name in, in the, um, it's the Google, well, what is it actually called? Let's go find out. It's called the recorder. It's very. <laughs> recorder function that, in well, the Andro it's an Android. It's, it's, it's an app. And I will admit, whenever I see someone with a Pixel phone, I've tempted to stop them and say, do you know about this? And in fact, I've done this a number of times where I'll be sort of like chatting with someone. And I'll notice I have a Pixel and I'll, I'll stop and say, well, can I just show this to you? Because I think it's so amazing. Yeah. Okay, great. Well, thanks for that. So um, what's your second uh, tool you'd like to share? Okay, so my second tool is um, sort of we live in a world right now where we have a lot more conversations like this, right, where you and I will, like, it's just easier for us to chat this way compared to, let's say, going for a hike or something like that. And I think this will continue. And I think that there's going to be an entire class of applications to like on top of Zoom or next to Zoom to make this sort of conversation richer and more interesting and mm -hmm. varied. And I think the lessons are all going to come from streamers and from Twitch and different worlds, mm -hmm. right? And one of the things that folks on Twitch do, right, you know, they have a whole <laughs> set of ways of having lightweight feedback of personalizing experiences and, um, and what I just turned on is I turned on an overlay with this application that I've got called Galactic Camera. And Galactic Camera is this framework where they basically stick, you know, a layer between me and the camera, and then I can do anything I want with it, right? And they've got a whole set of APIs and frameworks. And uh, there, are, there are other people who are doing similar-ish things. But the nice thing about Galactic is that it's totally open and easy to modify and, you know, sort of made to be super effective there. So... Um, so that's that's like sort of galactic, and I'm trying to think like what's the what's an example of something I could send. Let's see if let's see if this works. Um, if I send this right, so things like that would seem really goofy. Did you see the little high? Yeah, you know all that sort of stuff. Like I think that's the hint of what's going to happen in normal business world. In addition to things like in this case, I got my little fancy, you know, my professional work thing, which you can see over here. So that's that's galactic camera. And and besides the electric camera is really is it a camera or is it just a um, is it's a virtual it's just basically a virtual layer HTML it's a web page right that sits right. there's no the camera, camera is what I mean no no there's no there's no physical camera it's a conceptual layer between the two of us and then the the clever thing about the framework is then it's flexible enough that you know sort of you can run little interactive things and uh -huh. sort of like have chat and all those sorts of things that you could, that could make these sort of experiences just a little faster and more interactive and rich and customized. Uh -huh. Yeah, I, I think, uh, so here's the web page. It's, That's um, right. it looks like it's just, um, uh, and is it web browser based? It is, um, 
No, the the framework that's used where you can inject things uh-huh. is is just web based, right? But yeah. then you have to download an application that runs on your computer that uh-huh. sits between you and um, you and the camera. Okay. All right. Um, so yeah. So for those who are listening, what was happening was um, in the Zoom call in the screen we can, James could add um, a background, a border, some text, a name badge, a greeting, emoji, I suppose, um, all kinds of things that um, would sort of enable you to animate it in in, in a certain level rather than just take the straight feed. I mean, and, you know, sort of the, the original, one of the original applications was similar to if you were on, I don't know, on Instagram or something like that and get people to react to you by pressing hearts, right? Yeah. Sort of like basically they simulated that where mm-hmm. they'd give you a URL, you can then, you as the audience could sort of respond by right. you know, offering. Right, right, right. So so this is part of kind of the streaming world in some ways. That's right. That's right. Where That's everything's right. going out live and you want to be able to do things in real time. Right. Rather right. than and, uh, post or pre. And it feels like that whole world continues to shift probably faster yeah. than, than sort of I that I would expect. And you know, certainly one of the things that's gonna I think is gonna last past the pandemic, right? That like sort of we're just gonna there's gonna be lots of interactions where it's just faster to do this and it can spread right, right, faster right. and connect with more. So 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 one of the things that we can expect to see maybe future tools is a little bit what we're doing right now, which is we have multiple cameras, we have screen sharing, we have that's this right. sort of virtual control room where yeah. we are taking multiple feeds and trying to curate or manage or right. edit or produce the output stream. And I think that's going to become, I mean, there's, there's already some apps like you know, OSB and others, but that, that larger field of being able to create or was there what it want, um, kind of produce streams yep. in real time um, is going to be a thing. That's right. That's right. And in fact, in some ways, I, I will admit that like that part has also in mainstream business, that has moved slower than I thought it would. That if you asked me at the beginning of the pandemic, where would we be? I would have imagined that business people and company corporate communications would have adopted many more tricks from Twitch mm-hmm. and Instagram streaming world. And actually it's been slower than I thought it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think what was happening is that there was such a major tectonic shift at the base of just people getting online right. and becoming comfortable that that was sort of sufficient <laughs> for, That's right. for, for it. And it was like, okay, now that they're kind of done it for two years, now they're kind of ready for the, fancier things right that's right that makes sense that yeah makes sense. Um, okay so that's um true. um that's galactic camera um what's another one that you um want to recommend okay so i have two related things um which all revolve around the fact that i've bought way too many ipads so okay, I, I, can't. I feel a theme emerging here of screens. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> and I can't resist 
iPad. Like I just love them. My, I think they're endlessly fascinating. And I think that I saw this recommended by you at some point. And did you recommend this to me? This is like a, this is like a stand. I think it might have been a, Mark. Okay. Okay. So it's amazing. It is a stand for a tablet. I don't know if you could totally see this like this. Uh-huh. Yeah. And and I have them all over the house. I have one by Ooh. the kitchen. I have one by I I at one point I had one in the bathroom. I had definitely sort of one by the fridge. One right, the, right. You know, sort of, where I'll sit and then I could just place the device on the stand and it's like basically changed my life. For the what, what, how does it change your life? What what do you do as an upright pad? All so, in all these places. I, you know, mostly reading, right? So I will admit that I'm a, I'm like an endless reader. I read endlessly. And so my ability then to sort of read with a screen and placing it somewhere, like definitely sort of has improved my life. And then the other thing I do a lot of is I watch a lot of random YouTube. Yeah. And so well, you know, at any one time, there's some critical new thing I need to learn about. Yeah. That yeah. Only like there are only 40 more videos that I need to watch in order to finally <laughs> master some random thing. That right, only right, right. With. And so. Oh um, my gosh. Um, so okay, I just want to again pause for the people who are just listening and not seeing it. This is a little tiny plastic stand. That's kind of like, you know, I don't know, maybe 45 degree thing. That's only a couple inches high, but it can hold a full-size iPad, I presume, and right. somewhat vertical so that you can, uh, and I imagine also, also hold, hold a phone too, right? That's right. That's right. And sideways. Right. Um, yeah. And so, um, so that enables you to kind of read everywhere without having to hold the pad. So, that would suggest the um, kind of consuming mode of the iPad, right? Uh huh. Uh-huh. Where where, it, right. where it's a screen and you're watching it, and it's a portable screen bigger than your phone. Um. Now, of course, I will admit that, like, um, so there are two things I admit. One is, um, you know, I have a friend like th- that mode of consuming with the screen right off to your side or whatever is one that I do do a lot of. And I do have a friend who at one point built these arms that were connected, like you'd have a belt and you have an arm connect, like a little stand connected to it. And then you'd be able to place your device right next to you, right outside your field of vision. So it's like a backpack. You're wearing it kind of like a backpack, but it's holding it right on off to the side, like 45 degrees off. Or just not a in front of, of your face. You could adjust it, but that's right. But you could adjust it, and I was, uh, I think he like he built it for, I think, um, for fact like factories and warehouses, right, 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 right. just little things, and it was great. But I kind of wish that it was mainstreamed, and it looked, I will admit, it, it looked a little goofy. But lots of things look goofy, and I was kind of right. wishing that we live in a world where we could all have these little stands attached to our bodies with these little phones, well, and. Um, it could happen still. I, I, you know, here, here's the thing people don't appreciate. We're going to do that with glasses. That's what these AR glasses are about. They're not about, they're about having that screen with you exactly where you want it at any time. That's right. Without having to have the whole apparatus. Okay. And so, so, then, so, so that's, so, I mean, having used some of these AR things is you can read as well or better 
than on the iPad. And it's always there and you can move it and have them disappear. And, and, and that's going to be a big use of these. Oh, 100%. And I'll admit that like sort of, of course, the nice thing about my lower tech version of the glasses is that they're available right now. They just look really, yeah. really goofy. Sure. Um, and especially if things were voice driven, then you can certainly imagine people walking around all day, you know, sort of maybe not all day. But, you know, right. people to, uh, you certainly would be willing to put on a pair of glasses to watch something off the side as you were washing dishes or whatever. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. All sorts um, of ways, all sorts of ways to get my wife irritated with me. Yeah. So, yeah. So um, I, I can't let the 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 um, remark about YouTube go away because that's my hobby horse is that I, I you know, well, I spend like you probably um unwarranted numbers of hours watching YouTube. And I make no apologies because it is, it is the best. It is just the best way to learn about anything these days. That's right. And I just think it's not really reckoned with how good it is, how important it is, how much people are actually using it and not talking about it. And, um, Maybe the reason why I'm talking about now is like, okay, so my question is, what have you learned about doing it? What are some tips that you have sort of uncovered in terms of, let's say you are a YouTube power user. Yep. Um, do you have any YouTube power user tips? I have, okay, well, I'll make two comments. So first of all, um, uh, a friend of mine has a book coming out about YouTube, and I think it's called, and his name is Mark Bergen, B-E-R-G-E-N, yeah. and the book is, I think, going to be called, like, Like, Comment, Subscribe, or something right. like that. I just saw that. I just saw it mentioned today. It's on Amazon um, for pre-sale, pre-order right now. Oh, perfect, perfect. So Mark is a great journalist, and it is, like, everyone should read it because I do think YouTube is low-key, YouTube and Wikipedia are likely going to last. Like people will write about YouTube and Wikipedia's influence hundreds of years right, from now. Right, in right, good right. Ways. Um, and, and so my, one of the things that I do do is you'll find online these very long streaming sessions from academics, right? You know, right. nowadays, because, the, you know, thanks to the pandemic, unfortunately, I think a lot of academics realize when we do these big sessions, we have to record them so it's accessible. We'll stream them so it's accessible to other folks who couldn't travel to Boston or wherever. And um, and they all have these automatically generated captions, right? That actually YouTube, Google, again, does a pretty good job with these captions. Right. And now there might be an easy way to export them, but I don't know what the easy way to export them are. It actually ends up being. So what I end up doing is I have a little script where I will copy all the text from a YouTube page, right? You know, take out the one part where it's the, the captions, and then you have to do a little text fiddling so that you can make it into something slightly legible. Mm. And then I'll search through that to find the part of the thing I wanna watch, right? And so I just mm. did this for some MBER conversation. And, you know, so, so you'll, you can find, I mean, so in that case, that's, the smartest people or the people who are the deepest expert in some subject will talk and they'll just be on YouTube. Like in the old days, you'd have to get into grad school and sure, hunt them sure. down and be able to get in the room. And now you can always get in the room. And, um, and that to me is amazing. The, the, other, the other one, of course, is 
especially around math. There are so many amazing instructors who make their material available for free. And so my ability to understand like various concepts I wish I got while I was in college, it's just unprecedented. It's sort of stunning to me that, that we live in, on the one hand in the world where everything is so terrible, education is so messed up in so many ways. And yet, if you are a passionate 15 year old and really care about whatever, you can find the best instructor in the world at, with one click. And like, you eh, maybe you have to watch an ad, but like, otherwise that's it. It's, a, it's right, sort right, of, right. stunning yeah. to me. So my, my, my two, my two um, tips would be myself. First, get YouTube premium, all right? Yeah. Get yeah. YouTube premium. Don't see the ads. I mean, it's like you're, you're, it'll change your life if you spend any time on YouTube at all. Just get the premium. Ads are gone forever. Secondly, um, uh, you, you know, advance the speed. You can play one and a half, two X right. on YouTube. Right. It's a little gear down there. Just go there. If you're reading the, the captions, you can read it just as fast and faster. Um, and so that's the second one. The, the, the third one is how you find the things. And, and, oh. um, and so I actually rely a lot on the recommendations that are being thrown up. But do you have any tips on how do you find this math teacher that is great and fantastic and telling you about the thing that you want to know? Do you have so any tips about I, that? I don't really get how to do good search on YouTube. I find search on YouTube really unreliable and it actually leads me in bad directions, to be totally honest. Mm -hmm. And so I actually rely on Google for search and I rely on Twitter for like- Look, That's not YouTube, it's Google. What do you mean? I mean, I go to google.com and then type- You go for, out. Look for I go out. Uh, so uh, I don't do it inside the YouTube environment. You don't think they're using the same search engine? I mean, I mean, in, well, in one case, I will get people writing about YouTubers, right? Then pointing me mm -hmm. to interesting things. In the other case, I only get only the videos, right? And so then having that context and list of recommendations, uh -huh. all that you find on Google, and it's much easier to sort of sort through. I see. Um, and then, of course, now the other reality is that, like, uh, what's the name? It, you know, Kotke, K-O-T-T-K-E. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So he, I, I don't know how many times he's taking me down, down some rat hole because I right. read something and then started watching a bunch of videos through him. Right. You know, so yeah. Yeah. That, that works too. So, so, so um, yeah, I mean, I, I kind of find a little bit, if I want to find out actually how to do something, mm -hmm. I don't go to Google cause then I get distracted by all these sites that are ad driven and stuff. And I'll just go right to, into YouTube and I'll get a much faster access to showing me how to do something or fix something or whatever. Oh, I believe that. Um, yeah. So, so maybe it kind of depends on what you're actually looking for. That's right. That's right. That, that, is, that, is, a, that is a fair point. Um, so, so what, okay, so here's the, um, the general request out there to anybody who knows. It's like, does anybody out there feel like they are a super YouTube searcher or whatever ha has really good um, powers of finding things in YouTube? Let us know what your tricks are. Or if you know somebody who is, point us to them because I would be interested. I mean, there was for a while, there were, you know, super searchers, uh, like, right. um, information librarians whose job, who's, who were trained 
to find things. And I use them all the time. Research librarians were amazing because you'd walk into the library in the old days and it's like, you have no idea how to find things and you needed someone to guide you. And I think we may be kind of at a similar point. Oh, that's interesting. Where there's so much out there that maybe, maybe, maybe this is a future occupation is, you know, they're going to help you find it on YouTube or in the video world. Um, And, you know, they kind of, their, their travels and they, they would use other tools maybe, and maybe there are, better search engines, maybe someone can actually, maybe YouTube search engine is different than the Google one. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a good point. That's a good point. So um, did you have anything else do you want to share in terms of tools? Okay, so I'll, I'll just mention one last sure. sort of thing that, you know, sort of if you're on a Mac, what you should do, if you got, you're on a Mac and you have a number of tablets like I do, you should upgrade to the latest version and you should turn on universal control. And um, whoa, 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 say that one more time. If if you're on a Mac and, yeah. and you have a bunch of tablets, you should turn on universal control. And so if you go Where to display in displays in the systems in displays. System, yep, displays, and you can click this little button, universal control, cool. and it allows you then to basically remote control your iPad. And so I think I'm trying to remember how Sidecar worked. The way that Sidecar worked was that I got to make my iPad into a display. Right. right. And the I way that it was this like, works, uh-huh. and the way that this works is I can control my iPad with my laptop and my keyboard and I'm just running my iPad. Oh, wait, wait, wait. So it's not acting like a second monitor screen. Kind of like where you're kind of like extending it, right? You can kind of move a page across it. It's that you are using the cursor and the pen. Can you, I mean, trackball, you, trackpad. You're using the keyboard and the trackpad or the mouse, but then critically, so that you're able to drag, you're able to, you know, go between them and right, right, right. run your iPad. But critically, the other thing you can do is you can copy something from your oh. Mac and paste it on your iPad, okay. right? And in some ways, the we have so much wasted compute today, but we live awash with all these random devices that aren't just being fully utilized. And so I sometimes, I, I sometimes will have this problem where my laptop is slow because I have too many browser tabs open, but then I can, my iPad is actually quite fast. Right, and so then that ability to switch between devices, or just take advantage of the one, two, three, device, four, five, the four device, five devices I have on my table right now, uh-huh. I kind of feel like that's the future, right? That that's mm-hmm. that sort of that's that's the sort of personal distributed computing that um that is there that a are. range? Is this going through Bluetooth? I have no idea what the magic is. Well, what I mean is if if your iPad's in your bedroom and you're doing it and your computer is in the kitchen, does it? That's a good question. I've I've only done it with my, like I've only done it with the iPad right next to me. So actually I don't know how it works Uh um, in case of like actually literally remote, remote devices. Right. 
Um, but it's called universal control and it's in beta in the latest version of your Mac OS and iOS uh -huh. and iPad or iPad OS or whatever it's right, called. Right, right, right. Yeah. Um, yeah, the, I I use uh, an iPad every day, but I'm I, I'm using it as a <laughs> drawing tool, and sure. I keep realizing that I have no idea. I mean, I, I haven't even touched its capabilities for all these other things that it, you know it's actually another computer. It's it's another right. device and, that right, and especially you have the newer iPads, right? Their processors are incredible, right? Yeah, and so they, it is. It is amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, there's a lot of things you could do with it that I haven't even touched on it. So this is another one using it as a, uh, would you call it not a second display, but as a, how, how would you describe this? What does it do? I mean, I think basically it, so I, yeah, I don't know exactly. It's not a second display. It's basically allowing me to, I mean, it's some sort of, there's something about how this is distributed computing, like the personal distributed computing, uh -huh. but I don't, I don't have the right words for it. And that's why I think they call it, I think that's why they do a bad job of marketing it as well, because I don't really know how to talk about it yet. Yeah, but yeah. the first time you copy something from your Mac, go over to the iPad and paste, it's kind of an amazing experience. So to use it, like if you were in, say you're in your Mac, you're, yep. you're going to copy something you say, let's say you see a picture on the web, you copy it. How do you move it over to the iPad? You drag um, it to, or does the iPad showing up as a, in your dock? Um, well, okay. Let's, let's, let's see literally what happens. If I, I open notes on my iPad and then I'm going to like find an image on my on my Mac and I drag the image. Let's see what happens. Oh, look at this. I just dragged it across the screen over onto my iPad. I let go and it pasted well, in. So your iPad is showing up where? Um, no, it's not showing up. I mean, literally it's my iPad screen. It's, I basically dragged from the corner off to the edge of the, going back to screens is I went off to the edge of the screen. I kept on moving and it's my cursor showed up on the iPad and it's sort of, it is a, it is one of those sort of mind-blowing. They didn't know which side of the screen your iPad Well, was I set on. that. In that case, I set that up. I told it that the oh. iPad was in the right. Okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> that would be really nice if it knew <laughs> in relation to where it was. Okay. Well, that's fantastic. Thank you, James, for those. Um, what do you want to share with – what are you working on? What are you excited these days? What's um, – what do you want so, to talk about um, and share with yeah. others? So I'm a early stage VC, and then we've done a bunch of investing around machine learning. And I'm kind of convinced that we've thought about AI in, in I don't want to say in the wrong way, or the ethics of AI, not in the, I don't want to say that we're thinking about it in the wrong way, but rather we're thinking about it in incomplete ways, and that there's a bunch of work sort of in economics and the social sciences that are really applicable to some of the more interesting problems with AI. Mm -hmm. And so I've collected 
and I think like there are ways, like I think our mental model of AI right now still remains as a brain. And that's probably the wrong way to think about it. The right mental model probably should be an organization or a bureaucracy. And we have a bunch of people who've studied a lot around how bureaucracies work and don't work, how they get fooled, you know, how dynamic social, social systems work. And, and those are, of course, social scientists. And so I've collected a reading list. Uh, I've saved it all in this place, bit.ly slash situated AI. And I'm really curious to meet anyone who finds this interesting or has other things that I should read or that other people should read. Okay, so, all right. Like the first three pieces that are my, my favorite uh -huh. pieces are, there's this guy, Cesar Hidalgo, who like basically did a census, a moral census in which he interviewed people and figured out how, when they trusted machine learning models yeah. versus humans more or less. And uh -huh. then there's a there's these two really creative thinkers that were originally out of Stanford who sort of compared bureaucracies to AIs, mm. right? And then sort of talked about like sort of what are lessons to be learned uh -huh. around, um, and you know, like uh, you know, the, their point around bureaucracies is everyone knows that the bureaucracy is wrong sometimes, and everyone should know that the AI will be wrong sometimes. And the question right. is, how do you manage that? And then. And then like the, the third one, just to give you a flavor, right, is seeing like a finite state machine, which is probably my favorite paper, which compares sort of the limits, uh, like the ways that people cheat and which thinks a little bit from an international relations point of view, but just a straightforward way about how people cheat and fool AIs. And I think that's the world we're going to live in. I think we're going to wow. have a lot of like all of those. Those are all the interesting issues, right? We were earlier talking about why I don't like YouTube search. Yeah. Right? And it's partly because people have figured out how to game it, right? And that cat and mouse game of like fooling and not fooling and getting underneath the system, I think all those games are going to be the ones that even with AGI, we're still going to be dealing with for a long, oh, long absolutely. time. Well, more so. Did you read Kate Darling's book about um, using animal metaphor? No. Uh, animal and pets? Oh. Um, so Kate Darling, AI researcher, she was saying we have a long history of, of dealing with animals and the ethics of dealing with animals, who owns, who's responsible. And so she uses that as another template for AIs. Got it. And it's a new sure. book. And I'm trying to remember the name of it. Um, something like, um, oh boy, Other Minds or, um, uh, let's see. Um, that sounds terrifying. <laughs> are we the are we the pets or are they the pets? Uh, <laughs> they are the pets. Um, so I mean, I actually thought it was fabulous, and and I, it was one of the things I've been saying is that um, uh, a cl the, the question is, do we treat them as aliens or as pets? Right. Um, and you've added bureaucracies, which is sort of interesting. Um, but there's a bu bunch of different metaphors, and, and it's probably going to be all of them. That's right. That's right. That's right. Um, we'll put a link in um, the notes about what her book is. Um, I'm not getting it right away here, but um, uh, it's it's really good, and it's well-written, and it's current, and she knows what she's talking about. It's, oh, it's called The New Breed. Hmm. Okay. The I'll New Breed, up. and it was this idea of breeding animals to be you know to be domesticated and and whatnot so the new breed 
And it's really, um, there's a lot there. And I think you should add that to your I will. list of possible metaphors for. Um, and I'm going to add the book. My, my favorite one is, is aliens. Yeah. You know, like all the different yeah. species of aliens. Um, and some of them are going to be very dumb schmartin. Meaning, that's my word. Dumb schmartin is for where they're really geniuses in certain areas and complete idiots in the other. And this is going to be the common frustration of how dumb schmartin our, yeah. our <laughs> things are. Because it's like you can figure, you, you, have a, you can prove a math statement, but you can't add up. To you know whatever it is you know like where sure. you you know you're, you 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 can translate any language but you don't but you can't even tell me what time it is whatever it is so it's like uh, um, dealing with you know very peculiar people who are really smart in something and really dumb in something else right right I mean I think I think that those intuitions or mm-hmm. figuring out the right metaphors. You know, like I, th- I do think that'll be key, right? That'll be key for the next, whatever the next few decades. Mm-hmm. And the folks who come up with the wrong ones, why they get hurt or missed out on our opportunities. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, so, I think that's right. Yeah. Well, that's great. So we'll again, we'll put a link to your reading list, and I don't know if people can comment. Is that there will be a, a place it's to a comment? Google, it's a Google Doc that anyone can comment on, and I would love okay. feedback and you know, sort of good ideas and bad ideas. And okay. I'm just trying to add to that, add to that list. Well, thanks again, James, for a really fantastic um, sharing of your cool tools. Um, really appreciate it. And for our listeners and watchers, I guess these days, this is uh, one of the first um, transitional videos that we've moved from being a podcast audible only to trying to do something visually. So let us know how it's working out. And until next week, um, thanks for joining us. We're glad that you enjoyed this issue of the Cool Tools Show and Tell. Just want to remind you that we have some other coolish material on our YouTube channel here. Please subscribe, comment, like. In addition, um, this Cool Tools Show and Tell is also available in an Audible podcast form. You can subscribe to it wherever you subscribe to other podcasts, if you just wanted to listen. And if you're listening, know that there is a visual version of this on our YouTube channel where we're actually showing the tools and um, there's a little bit more of a visual component there. In addition, the same folks that put us, uh, the Cool Tools website out, we also put out a free newsletter every week. It's very, very short. It's one page or less. We recommend six very brief items um, that are very succinct, easy to read. You can deal with it in a couple minutes. And every week we bring to you the six cool things that we have uncovered and want to share. And it's called Recommendo with one M, recommendo.com. You'll be able to find it there. It's free. Join 50,000 plus other subscribers every Sunday morning. You'll get it in your email box. And it's actually one of the most popular things that we produce. But we do produce other newsletters as well. One of them is called What's in Your Bag. We have one that goes out to um, uh, tools and tips for your workshop. 
So you can get those at our website um, and they're also free. And finally, um, I wanna mention the fact that um, we do have a Patreon and um, this uh, podcast and this vidcast are supported by Patreon supporters. The minimum is a dollar a month. And for that, you get um, an email to ask us anything. We'll respond and um, answer your question if we're able to. There are other higher levels. You can all see those at our Patreon page. And all those links are below right here. So thank you again for being a fan. And um, we'll keep producing stuff if you enjoy it. Thanks. Thank you all to this week's patrons who include Jay Walker, Nikolai Teleguine, Charles Cowens, David Sue, Jack Unverfirth, Michael, Lawrence Lazare, David Abel, Edward Grobe, and Juiced Dozberg. Thank you all. <laughs>